Hello, it's the July DCM podcast. My name is Tom and this month I'm joined by a couple of guests. Firstly, Lisa Gillingham, who is AV planning partner at Densu North based in Leeds. And also joining us and making her second appearance on the DCM podcast is DCM's regional sales director, Rachel Cochran. But before we get onto that chat, we need to talk about something. We need to talk about the phenomenon that is Barbenheimer. And it is a genuine phenomenon. I'm not sure I can recall a time where a pair of films or even one film has dominated the cultural conversation so much. Both films have been in cinemas for five days at the time of recording this intro, and Barbie to date has delivered over 2.3 million DCM admissions, while Oppenheimer has already delivered over 1 million. It seems like tickets are sold out for the next few weeks, and in terms of box office, for the first time in history, two films have opened with over £10 million at the UK and Ireland box office, and Greta Gerwig and Barbie have set a new record for the highest opening from a film from a woman filmmaker. We've got the Film Monitor audience data for the opening weekend of Barbie, and 31% of the audience was 16 34 women, so that means the film has delivered approximately 13 1634 women TVRs in just five days. And both these films are just getting started too. It looks like Barbie is going to get very close to the top 10 biggest films of all time in the UK and Ireland, while Oppenheimer has its sights set on Dunkirk, which finished its run with 56 million and is Christopher Nolan's biggest film to date in the UK and Ireland. This week alone looks nailed on to deliver over 6 million admissions across the industry, which would make it the biggest week for cinema for over a decade. And in terms of box office, is on track to be the biggest week for box office in history. It's an incredible time for cinema and it once again confirms cinema's almost unrivaled ability to create unique cultural moments. Anyway, let's get to my chat with Lisa and Rachel. We sat down together a couple of weeks ago, straight after DCM's annual upfronts at Odeon Leicester Square. So let's talk a bit more about you, Lisa. Tell us a little bit about your role at Dentsu North and what that entails. So I've been with Dentsu for 16 years now. Um... Christ, that sounds sound really old, don't I? Um, and started actually in media for all off my, offline media, so um, press, out of home, radio, cinema. So really getting a good grasp of kind of the full landscape. And then as as you know, clients sort of grow, billings grow, and, and we kind of shape the agency into specialisms. So now I'm part of the AV planning um, role, um, and it's my job um, to work with strategy um, and to really kind of bring the best output for clients with regards to AV plans. What brands do you work with? Kind of like a collective mix, really. Um, so retail clients, um, we've got things like Oak Furniture Land, um, Samsonite, um, I've worked with Interflora, um, we've also got part of Molson Core, so Carling Alcohol Brands, so it, it, is, it is quite a good mix. Uh, universities, which again work really well with something like cinema for the audience and the regionality purpose of it. And have you always been based in Leeds? I have, yes, always in Leeds, yeah. And how does a role like yours differ from a similar role in London? If it does at all. Well, so we've kind of moved to a bit of a location agnostic approach with Dentsu. So we can work on any any business at any point. Um, it's about the talent and where the talent is. I think there's a slight, there can be slight differences with more local clients and global clients. Sometimes the challenge has been actually with the smaller clients and the smaller spending clients, um, there's more justification for where their money's spent and they can really challenge those numbers and, you know, and quite rightly so, you know, you know they really need to make that marketing budget work really hard. So actually from a sometimes smaller advertisers, it's they're the ones that sometimes are harder to kind of shape um, AV strategies. Do you find that brands such as yours who trade their media outside of London have different needs or expectations aside from what you've just mentioned? 
Uh, I think there's a lot, and I'm, I'm probably saying this more from my experience rather than experiencing some of the more London and global brands, but there's a lot around measurement as well. So having a really good grasp on when we're testing media, how it's going to be measured and what success looks like. Rachel, as someone who has uh, worked in our Manchester office now for three years, but you've been based in Manchester for most of your career, haven't you? Yeah. Do you agree with what Lisa's saying? Is there anything that you'd add in terms of regional expectations and needs? I would completely agree with Lisa on the measurement point. Um, I think that's something that we're often sort of coming up against. I think as well, you've got to make those smaller budgets work harder. As Lisa mentioned, sometimes those smaller clients with those smaller budgets um, sort of have more scrutiny across the campaign and they really want to know that every single penny is working for them, which just means sometimes there's that extra layer of work that goes into it. But I think apart from that, it's it's very similar. And I think post-COVID, we are aligning more with London in terms of the way we operate. Um, I feel like we are more integrated with London um, and there's a bit of a cross approach with clients that sit in London that sometimes the regional teams will look after as well. So it's just where the resource sits and who's got the capacity to look after those as well. What are the main barriers you come up against when putting cinema to your advertisers? A lot of it is probably around reach. I know it's something we spoke a lot about um, or have spoken a lot about um, at DCM and you know at the upfronts today. I think where we really need to get better and you know what the the challenge is is trying to understand the client's objectives and you know in the brief and it was spoken about today and once you understand that brief and what what the client's trying to achieve you can really start to then understand each role of media and where that sits and where it's where the advantages are I think the challenges can be sometimes cost as well but you know I think we, we live in a world of, uh, you know, abundance of impressions and we talk about this quite a lot and, you know, they're not all equal. They have different currency behind them and there's, you know, there's an ad exchange to them. So the quality of the production of, you know, that experience, the big screen, that's the trade-off, but you're absolutely paying for what you're getting and, you know, it comes back to that Lumen research of, you know, you're getting the majority of your 30-second ad exposed and in a world of so much clutter, that's crucial. Are you finding it's easier? It's getting easier to pitch cinema to your clients? It is now. With more and more research that's coming out, um, I know Dense is obviously a big part of the attention economy piece, which was, um, we've worked with Lumen on that. And, you know, we really need to, it's quite archaic sometimes when we talk about TVRs. We need to talk about attention ratings and, and reach in its, in its quality and, and that kind of attention that you're getting when you're on, uh, when your ads are playing. So there needs to be a movement and a measure. And it sounds like from today, Day that you guys are also you know moving in that space as well with regards to your new um, attention planner so that's really great so it's these kind of steps that we need to be doing to sort of educating it's not taking away from the likes of Instagram and Facebook because they are great they offer great reach but it's that it's where they complement each other and the roles that they play and they are different and Rachel Lisa just touched on some of the things we launched at Upfronts this morning yeah, there's some big things coming in H2. Uh, we've got the AV Maximizer tool, um, which is just going to make life so much easier for planners and is really going to put cinema sort of front and centre um, because often, you know, planners are really time poor and we're... we're 
our days are ever more demanding. So I think having a simple tool on our website that actually doesn't make you have to put through numerous different scenarios to get the end result, I think is going to be a, a really, really positive thing. Um, yeah, so there's lots to look forward to for the rest of this year. So just keep your eyes peeled and we'll be announcing those in due course. And also for the rest of the year, we've got a lot of films to look forward to. So this is a very professional segue into the chat about Cine Europe. So the three of us were very lucky to go to Barcelona a couple of weeks ago. For Cine Europe, for listeners who may not be aware, is the annual conference in Barcelona where the world's film studios present their upcoming films to the European cinema industry. We got to see snippets of countless films, didn't we? Really exciting stuff. We also got to see some full films. Uh, Now we have to be careful about talking about particular details as we've all signed NDAs um, very seriously but I'm sure we can talk broadly about the films Mm -hmm. that that was were shown we just can't talk about specific details let's talk about the event as a whole Lisa what did you take away from it I think the biggest thing for me actually was how much content how much (laughs) how much there was from a film slate I think we always think about as AV planners you know we're quite guilty of it to think about the young audience the the light tv viewer you know the 1634 but actually my main key my main key takeout was there's a film for everyone there's quite a lot and like we touched on it earlier there's a lot of family content sort of coming back to the cinemas and as a mum of two that's brilliant and you know it gives me excuse to go back to the cinema so I was really I really enjoyed having such an array of different content that we can we can go to the cinema and see from horror to comedy to, to some of the big screens like Napoleon which just looked I mean I probably wouldn't go see that's not my kind of cup of tea my husband will love it um but yeah no brilliant what about you Rachel what were your key takeaways I really loved hearing um, their commitment to theatrical windows from the distributors. Um, Obviously, we've been in sort of this experimental period post-COVID of launching to streaming services at the same time as releasing in cinema. And I think particularly hearing from Warner Bros and their dedication to the theatrical window and the importance of the theatrical window in releasing content came through really strongly for me um, across the board, really, in all the major distributor presentations. Um, But as well, similar to Lisa, it's just a breadth of content. I think there's really something for everyone um, we saw into sort of H1 of next year and there's some really exciting titles which I'm sure we'll delve into. I had to I went away and wrote down all the all the all the trailers that I'd seen because there were so many and I've got to 40 and even now I keep going oh there's that one oh there's that one and I keep going back to my book and writing it down so. Can I have that list when you're finished? <laughs> <laughs> Might be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about films what films particularly stood out to you uh, you've already mentioned Napoleon Lisa what other films we did you look at and go Wow, I can't wait to see that. There was quite a lot, actually. That's the thing when you're in, when you're there and you're in, it's on the big screen and you're immersed in it. You kind of go, "Oh, see, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that." Um, Equalizer three, Denzel. That looked. Um, that does look good, doesn't it? It's out on the first really of good. September, and Denzel, I think, is one of the most reliable big screen presences there is. Like, if a Denzel's in a film, I almost think well, that's going to be worth watching because he's just yeah. so compelling. And this one looks like another hit for him, doesn't it? That's it. I think there's, there's some actors, it's like Tom Cruise, you just go because whatever they're in, it tends to be an amazing movie. So, yeah, that looked that looked really good. Um, there was loads. Inside Out 2, that looks brilliant, but I'm a big Pixar fan. Yeah, well, let's just briefly mention that because I spoke about it during this morning's Upfronts. It's due out in June of 2024. Now, if you... I mean, I'm not. I'm just going to assume that everyone's seen Inside Out. I think Inside Out is top one or two Pixar films ever. Like beautiful, funny, emotional, inventive—that sort of magic thing that Pixar does, where they yeah. just 
take a high concept that you don't think anyone could even think of, let alone visualize and create a beautiful story out of it. And then they just did that with Inside Out. And then this sequel is a development of the story. R- Riley, who was the, I think she was nine in the first one. Yeah. She's now a teenager and she's got way more emotions in her head and they're all visualized and it's so by characters. Clever, isn't it? It's she's so thinking, oh, clever. Oh gosh, yeah, that is, that is typical teenagers and how they've split it down to those emotions. Yeah, the new, because obviously the, the previous film had five emotions, I think, which I probably won't get right, but fear, anger, disgust, joy, and may, maybe shame, I can't, yeah. But then the new one's got like ennui and embarrassment and <laughs> yeah. uh, anxiety. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, as soon as we're told that, I can't wait, to, can't wait. Yeah. It's so relatable as well, isn't it? It is so relatable, yeah. Um, Rachel, what, what film stood out for you? So I am very excited for Barbie. Um, I think everyone is. Um, we got to see 20 minutes um, of Barbie, which just looked amazing. And it was slightly different to what I expected as well. And it really sort of reminded me of the way I used to play with Barbies when I was younger, like the way they've actually portrayed the story of Barbie Land versus the real world. Um, I think it looks great. And I love Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. So I think that's going to be um, an absolute stormer this summer. Um, but I'm also really excited for Wonka, uh, which is out mid-December. I thought that looked really great. Um, we were lucky enough to have a, an appearance from Timothy Chalamet on stage um, speaking about the film. Also, we got to see a little bit of extended footage as well, didn't we, around um, with Hugh Grant as the Umpa Lumpa, which I thought was really funny. Uh, so, yeah, I think it looks nostalgic. It looks cute. Um, and I think in that lead up to Christmas, it's going to be brilliant for those family audiences. Yeah, and I think at the point this podcast goes out, the trailer will be online so we can probably say what we thought what we think about it you know i was like i was a bit nervous about wonka three years ago when they announced like you're just like well who needs a wonka film but then when paul king is announced as the filmmaker he's the director of paddington one and two you're just like okay well i if if he's in charge then he can create it Mm. into something special and it genuinely looks i feel it looks like paddington but with a different lead almost it's that makes london look amazing doesn't it it's very charming it's funny it's that right right, the perfect balance of sort of whimsy and um emotion and timothy chalamet looks really well cast as well doesn't he really good for that role yeah and as you said you grant as an umpa lumpa is going to be amazing hilarious (laughs) i was sat next to one of our exhibitors dorothy from zeffirelli's in embleside and she could not stop laughing like literally could not stop laughing it was comical i thought i was going to have to get a defibrillator Uh. (laughs) Anyway, what other films? Anything else stood out to you? Well, we got to see 45 minutes of Gran Turismo, which I basically felt like I saw the full film, but um, that looks really good as well. I didn't realise it was actually based on the true story. Um, So I think... Yeah, because people might be thinking, oh, it's just an adaptation of a video game. That's what I thought, yeah. Which is what I actually thought before, yeah. No, it's a true story, apparently, about a young guy who was good at the video game so they gave him training in a real race car and he raced in Le Mans and still is a professional racer. Yeah, incredible story. Um, so I really, I really like the look of that from Sony. Yeah, that's going to be great. I think for me, the, the one was Wish. Um, I'm a massive Disney fan, huge Disney fans. You know, growing up as a little girl and watching all Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella and, and, and then having kids and then sort of watching them then with your children. There's something really magical about it. And I think with the, with the 100 years aspects of Disney and how they've you know they've how they've created Wish which is essentially around kind of how all Disney films are kind of rooted which is you know if you think back to snippets of 
um, the princess and the frog and Cinderella and Pinocchio and how they all kind of wish upon a star. And it was just really nice how they kind of pulled it all together. Um, and then we had a special um, guest um, come out and sing. Um, sing one of the songs. Sing one of the songs. Great, yeah, it? I forget her name, but she's an, she sings um, at the West End. Um, so, yeah, they, just just incredible. Yeah, and Wish is out on the 24th of November and it feels like one of those classic Disney tales, doesn't it, that could really capture people's imagination in the run-up to Christmas, like a Frozen. And it's from yeah. the film, it's from the fa- same director as Frozen. It genuinely feels like the songs, if they're as catchy as we hope they could be, could really get people excited. And the animation looks beautiful, doesn't it, it Rachel? Does. Yeah, that song was really catchy as well. That was obviously written. Which is called Wish, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, written for the film. Um, it was, I think it was Danielle Fiamaya. That's it. That's Fia- who it was, yeah. Fiamaya, was it? Yeah. That wrote, it, that wrote it and performed it. And it genuinely gave me goosebumps it looked incredible um so yeah also really excited for that one too also we got to see um a bit of challenges as well which i think looks really fun um zendaya came out on stage and spoke a little bit about that one as well obviously she's featuring in june too as well in november so um sort of spoke about that too um but yeah i think uh, challenges looks quite fun it's about sort of relationship and a tennis this is a tennis star um and yeah, she's playing the lead role it's it? a love yes. triangle yeah. isn't it so set in the world of international tennis and Zendaya plays a tennis star and she gets involved in a love triangle with Mike Feist, who people might have seen in West Side Story and is currently just down the road performing in Brokeback Mountain on stage. Okay. And Josh O'Connor, who people will have seen in The Crown or God's Own Country. But that looked fun and sparky, didn't it? And yeah. quite Yeah. Quite... I thought it was a little bit dark as well. Yeah. A little bit raunchy. Yeah. yeah that, that was it. It, was, it, it wasn't what I was expecting. No. But um, that's out on the 15th of September. And again... This is what Cine Europe's grateful because when that film comes on the schedule, it's directed by Luca Guadagnino. He did Call Me By Your Name, which was a really beautiful film, but very emotional and a, and a bit art house. And you think, oh, well, this one will be art house too. It looks broad and, and has wide appeal. And Zendaya will probably bring in a, a mass audience for it as well, won't she? She's absolutely beautiful as well. She yeah, came she, out on stage. She's she just did. absolutely stunning. Her hair yeah. was insane. Uh, but yeah, I think, she, I think she looks perfectly cast for that role. And I think that looks like a, a really good film. And then the other one I was excited for was Bob Marley's One Love, um, the biopic on um, obviously the legendary superstar Bob Marley. And his brother actually did a little piece to camera, which was really insightful just around sort of the input that they've had in the film and stuff. I yeah, love Bob the, Marley's music. Yeah, it has the blessing of the Marley estate, yeah. doesn't it? And Kingsley Benadir, British actor, looks really well cast as Bob Marley mm-hmm. as well. And a large part of the film was shot in London because Bob Marley spent a large part of his life, later life in London as well. And music biopics have done well over recent years i mean obviously pre-covid we had bohemian rhapsody and rocket man and then since then we've had i want to dance with somebody the elvis. houston one and elvis yeah that was great and, bob, and we've got bob marley um one love in january yeah. which looks great for a sort of abc one audience but also on a music biopic front i was really pleasantly surprised by back to black yeah amy winehouse yeah i mean this has, isn't on our schedule yet but i'm expecting it will be in h1 next year but obviously an iconic performer that's a, it's a British film. It looks really well put together. Marissa Abela, who I haven't seen in industry, but looks really well cast as Amy Winehouse. And she can sing, thankfully. Oh, is she singing in it Yes, then? she is okay. singing, yeah. Which is a bold that's, choice, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's really bold. Who, who, can, who can match up with Amy yeah. Winehouse's vocals? But it looks like she's giving it a really good go. And Jack O'Connell plays Blakefield of Civil and Eddie Marson is her, Mitch Winehouse and Leslie Manville. That looks like, I think, something that could really kind of... Cr- create a huge amount of buzz yeah. next year because let's be honest people love amy winehouse and yeah. she's still very much in our consciousness isn't mm-hmm. she and that album back to black seems to grow in stature every year yeah 
yeah, really looking forward to that one as well. I love biopics. It was also, I thought, quite interesting about how the studios were very keen to stress that the biggest and best filmmakers are making films for the big screen and sometimes having that put into their contracts that the film has to be seen mm. on the big screen, which I think is great for cinema, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah, definitely. And um, obviously we spoke about that at the upfronts as well this morning. Um, there's definitely a perception that films are of a higher quality when they are released with an exclusive theatrical window. It's the best place to see a film and obviously for the talent as well and um, for the distributor to have that um, exclusive exposure on the big screen before it goes to any other platforms is absolutely crucial. Um, and obviously the distributors are seeing, they've tried and tested lots of different models of how this works post COVID. And I think it's definitely the model that's working best for them in terms of return. Um, so I'm really like hopeful that moving forwards, that's gonna be a commitment that they all make is having that theatrical window. Um, it's the best place to see it first on the big screen. And talking of theatrical window, one of the key things I took away from it, and this is something I was aware of before, but to see people on stage actually talking about it, is that the streaming platforms are now utilising cinema more and more. So Apple have created two films between now and the end of the year that are going to be theatrical exclusives and then move on to their streaming platforms. And that's Killers of the Flower Moon, the Martin Scorsese film, which is due in cinemas on October the 20th, and then Napoleon which is due on 22nd of November. These are films from two of the most famous filmmakers of all time that have been huge budgeted films funded by a streaming platform and the streaming platform has gone, for the success of this film, we need to show it on cinema first, which is incredible, isn't it? And we saw it with Air as well, didn't we, yeah. back in April, which did really well in cinemas with that exclusive. Was it 31 days it was in cinemas? Yeah, yeah I think it was between 30 and 40, yeah. Yeah, and that did really. That was a great film, by the way. I don't know if anyone saw that. Yeah, that was an Amazon title, that was an wasn't, Amazon it? One, wasn't it? Yeah, about the story of um, the story of Michael Jordan and the rise of the Nike Air um, shoe, which was amazing. And also, it's they also touched on a film which is coming in February next year, which is another Apple title called Argyle, which I didn't know anything about, which had Henry Cavill um, as a star, as a spy. Um, and uh, with an all-star cast from Matthew Vaughan, who made Kick-Ass and the Kingsman films. So, yeah, we've got some really good films from the streaming platforms coming to cinema first, Yeah, which is amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. I mean, I suppose, you know, you think about directors. I'm not a director, clearly, but you want, you want to showcase that on the best screen possible with the best sound, with the best chance of its success, and that will be at the cinema. So it's really great that they're getting behind and just, you know also contractually just working with with these distributors now that have to go on to the cinema first and it, you know it's not going to be um you know streamed i also wanted to mention another film that i've just remembered that really surprised me was called wicked little letters which is another film i didn't know anything about but stars jesse buckley and olivia coleman a british film and i think it's really important that we get more british films in cinemas as well you know what came, what i took away from cine europe is a lot of the european territories are doing well because they've got local content they're not relying just on american films and i think the more successful british films we can make and who doesn't love a great british story in olivia coleman and jesse buckley i think as well it's not always just about the big blockbuster budgets as well and we me and rachel were chatting about the the holdovers before that was shown um, a trailer which just looked really charming and something quite simple you know set in um, a school and it was just you know, I could just really sort of immerse myself with that story and get kind of quite lost in it. And it, it looked, I came away thinking, oh, I really want to see that. 
and it didn't um, probably has got bigger budgets but you know it's not probably not got the millions and millions behind it to sort of keep the audiences but no stuff like that looked really really good for me as well yeah that was a small drama set in a u.s college wasn't it it's from alexander payne who made sideways and nebraska and election and stars paul giamatti and that's out i think on the 17th of november so has cine europe changed your perception of cinema at all 100 percent. has it yeah yeah i think you know and again coming out of covid um and lifestyle you know having children you know i probably don't get to go to the cinema very much but it was really great to see all the content and I think as well cinemas are just getting better and better in terms of kind of setup and how nice it is to go to the cinema now and you know that I remember seeing Top Gun Maverick at, at the cinema which was just amazing and I just thought I couldn't have had that feeling having it at home in fact my chair was vibrating when the when the planes were taken off and it was just amazing and you know you just got to remember why how great it is and it's just definitely sort of sparked a little bit more for me to sort of go and see more films definitely what was your key takeaway from Sydney Europe Rachel I think the thing is that shared viewing experience I think after every single one of those slate presentations we all came out buzzing it was just that shared experience you're in the you're in a dark room with so many other people um they're experiencing exactly the same thing at the same time and i think in a world where viewing so fragmented on other platforms um cinema really has that unique opportunity to bring audiences together um and we saw that firsthand at cine europe the the buzz around some of the titles that are released over the next 12 months was yeah it was amazing it it was amazing yeah and i find it quite exciting as well Obviously, we're very lucky to see sneak peek of these films, but to see them just being launched and how the marketing kicks in and seeing how people embrace them over the next year is really interesting. And also see ones that maybe don't work so well or do, you know, and the, but the ones that really kind of embraced by the public, it's like, um, which we've seen with Barbie over the last three or four months. You can't escape it. It's everywhere on social media and billboards and, yeah, the marketing budgets that are behind them a huge support but I think just the word of mouth as well and people just getting really excited that's it now you know we're in this world of of social media and sharing and things are just spread so quickly you almost sometimes don't even need a massive marketing budget people are creating that buzz themselves and you know it's it's going to really drive I think some big numbers Barbie well that's a good place to leave it Uh, thank you for joining me Lisa thank you for having me thanks Rachel Uh, enjoy Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny at the weekend thank you and I'll be back next month I don't know what I'm going to be talking about next month but I will definitely be back thanks for listening bye bye thank you